You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, welcome, welcome in everybody to another episode of the Locked On Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And this football season sure has been different, hasn't it? And Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day, no matter how you have been watching this season, whether you are going to tune into that Detroit game, hoping that the Vikings can prove a little something about themselves, do better in the division than they did last year, you know, get to get to that the seven and nine and six and ten. It just feels different, doesn't it? Or maybe you just want them to get better draft picks. Whatever you are in for, Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through game day and become a member of the League of Football Watchers because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It's made for those who watch it. Pepsi made for football watching. Go to footballwatching.com to check out the latest football watching content from Pepsi. And today, the main topic of the day is going to center around, you saw the title, Should the Vikings Fire Mike Zimmer? This is the question everybody's arguing about right now, right? The Vikings are 6-9. and nine. It's been a very disappointing season. They had Super Bowl aspirations. He's been around. This is his seventh season. We got to talk about it, right? So we're going to have that discussion. I'll tell you more about how I intend to have that discussion later uh, because I wanted to get you guys involved and you guys gave me a lot of really, really awesome stuff. So thank you, everybody who answered my call for that. But first, uh, let's talk about some news that happened. Uh, There's a couple little roster things that we should probably discuss. So chiefly, the Vikings lost Alexander Hollins. You might remember Alexander Hollins as sort of a training camp darling. He was having a really, really good camp this year. Of course, no preseason for him to really make it in. And he didn't make the team, which was kind of a surprise to a lot of people. It seemed like he was really earning that. He also played very well in week 17 against the Bears, against some real corners. You know, that's not practice. Uh, and, the, and the Bears had like all of their starters. So like Kyle Fuller was up against Alexander Hollins at times. And he put up some good tape. He didn't end up getting targeted because of the nature of the progression on those plays. So it was kind of quiet, but it was good tape. And there was maybe something to this kid. And now he ended up on the practice squad in favor of uh, like in lieu of like Dan Chisina and Tajay Sharp, who ends up getting cut and KJ Osborne, who, you know, these guys that are on for like mostly special teams, but they were so bad at special teams. It's hard not to look at this transaction and feel like maybe the Vikings missed out on something here. Now, that's all very speculative, right? The sample sizes that we're working on are training camp reports. Most of us didn't see that, right? Except for the beat reporters who were literally there. Or, you know, if you saw a video or two, but even that it's hard to piece together like a whole take off of training camp video. And then a week 17 game where an eliminated Bears team was doing their best and they were still players. But, you know, week 17 can only be so informative. So what I'm getting at here is there is a reasonable chance that we're just wrong about Alexander Hollins. He did, after all, have several chances to get onto the roster when Dan Chisina was struggling. If Alexander Hollins had made a better case, at least to the Vikings and in the the opinion of the Vikings, then Chisina probably gets cut for Alexander Hollins, who played plenty of special teams as well. And that that's the move that they make instead of like benching him and just putting like Amir Abdullah in the spot or whatever. So maybe it's because he wasn't as good in special teams or something like that. Maybe it's because his prowess at wide receiver in training camp was overhyped and we just got the wrong idea about it. But either way, he was on the practice squad all year and now the Browns have claimed him. The Vikings actually made a move to put him 
him on the 53-man roster instead, but the, uh, Hollins wanted a fresh start, and he has a really good relationship with Kevin Stefanski, so he chose Cleveland over Minnesota, which is an, an unfortunate turn of events. If Hollins does end up, and you know, of course, Cleveland's in a really bad way with wide receivers, so there's probably a better opportunity for him to play there. He's not going to take snaps away from Adam Thielen over here, and plus, that's a meaningless game, and Alexander Hollins might be on a playoff team now. That's a much better opportunity. And he did play in the playoffs last year as well. So it's unfortunate to lose out on Alexander Hollins. And it does seem like kind of a big, uh, a, a big rake in the face to lose out on a guy like Alexander Hollins, who could have had something, who might actually show something here, so that you could have Dan Chisina come in and be the worst punt gunner the world has ever seen. Or you could have KJ Osborne come in and not play wide receiver and then get benched as the punt returner for for a guy with drop issues in Chad Beebe. I mean, these are not players that like really made a strong case for themselves on the roster, but the Vikings seem just way lower on Alexander Hollins than the rest of us. So really, all this speaks to, there wasn't really like an excuse for losing out on Alexander Hollins, right? If Hollins works out in Cleveland and becomes a player. The only explanation for it is that the Vikings were wrong. That's pretty unfortunate, but if he flames out or if he doesn't do anything like a lot of these practice squad kind of random deep roster guys do, and he's just kind of like there and around, then I guess you can say, all right, the Vikings just like evaluated him differently and didn't put a lot of value on him. And like, I guess that's fine if that bears out to be a reasonable take. But if it doesn't, it'd be a pretty bad look. And I don't know, I was pretty optimistic about the guy. So I think it's something that I'm going to kind of keep an eye on. I'm curious to see how it turns out in Cleveland. But there definitely wasn't. I mean, a lot of times, you know, they lost Elijah Lee, for example, where they just didn't have room on the roster because they had a whole bunch of other guys like, you know, Ben Gideon and they had guys like uh, that were a lot more exciting than Elijah Lee. They didn't have room for him on the roster that year and they ended up cutting him and now he's been kind of a player elsewhere and that's just a facet of, ah, you had a crowded roster, you had to make a difficult decision. This doesn't seem to be that. If if Alexander Hollins works out, the Vikings were just wrong. But now I want to move on to the Mike Zimmer conversation because here's here's the deal. Vikings are six and nine. They're either going to be six and ten or seven and nine or God forbid six, nine and one if things get really weird, which I actually think would be hilarious enough to root for. <laughs> but it, it wasn't a good season. And there are some valid excuses for those for that. There are some pretty like uh, decent critiques that are, are pretty reasonable to make for that. But whenever you've had a coach that's been in the team for as long as Mike Zimmer has, and you haven't seen a Super Bowl or even a Super Bowl appearance, this always happens. Every time they lose, he should be fired. Every time they win, you don't really see, you're just so used to him. You don't see, ah, my, what a great win for Mike Zimmer. You know, you don't see people talk about Zimmer the way they talk about like Brian Flores. And if Brian Flores is in Miami for five more years and they don't win the Super Bowl, you're going to start seeing people talking about Brian Flores the same way. It's just the natural cycle of things. But I wanted to attack this conversation in a different way, because my opinion is that I don't think the Vikings should fire Mike Zimmer. I don't think it makes the Vikings better in the short term, and I don't think it makes them better in the long term in enough scenarios to make it worth it. That's kind of my take, is that it doesn't increase your odds of winning the Super Bowl eventually. I, I think it decreases those odds, and therefore I don't think you should do it. But I wanted to embrace the spirit of debate. So I asked you guys to give me your best reasons, and you guys came up with a lot. You guys hit all the usual bases and some other things that I hadn't heard or considered before. I, I curated those the best that I can. 
Um, I, I a lot of you sent like really long stuff either in a DM or in a big Twitter thread. If you did that and you're in my notifications, sometimes if you'd like have a default profile pic, I might not have seen it. But if I saw it, I read the whole thing. Uh, I might not quote it here, but know that I, I read it and I love the effort that you guys put into it. So thank you guys so much for doing all that. I, I kind of picked a lot of people kind of said the same thing. So I just like picked one for that whole point so I can uh, respond to it. But basically, the rest of the show is going to be me responding to those points and seeing at the end of it how many legit gripes I have against Mike Zimmer. And hey, maybe at the end of this, my mind changes if I have a long enough, a, a longer list than I thought. But you know what? Football isn't over, at least not in the NFL. Vikings football is a little bit over. I guess you could bet on the lines if you want to, but there's playoffs coming up and there's uh, college bowl games. The college playoff is coming all up, all sorts of awesome matchups. And there's only one place that has you covered, one place that we all trust, betonline.ag. Sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use the promo code locked on for a 50% welcome bonus. So this week is pretty dope. Uh, you know, you have some really awesome matchups. Steelers Browns has a lot riding on it. The Bills could uh, beat the Dolphins and get the two seed after they just shellacked the Patriots, which we talked about on Lockdown NFL, by the way. There's all kinds of cool Week 17 stuff going on. The NFC East is awesome. If you think you know how the NFC East is going to bear out, don't sit on the sidelines. Get in on the action. Don't forget to use that promo code Locked On to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. For the Vikings, 2020 is mercifully over, and it's time for a fresh start, maybe a few more wins. If you're betting this year and you want more wins, listen to Locked On Bets with your boy Q and Lee Sterling of Paramount Sports. They're picking college basketball, football, and NBA locks all winter long. Subscribe to Locked On Bets wherever you get your favorite podcasts. So let's hop into Twitter Tuesday. This is Twitter Tuesday. It's just a, a, a formatted Twitter Tuesday, a little bit more of a themed one. And I want to start with, I think, the one thing that, about Mike Zimmer that I see the most. Anyway, the operative question, should the Vikings fire Mike Zimmer? And so I asked for people who think the answer to that question is yes to tell me why. And here is I, the best curation I have of what you guys said. Andy said something that most people had some version of, and a lot of people agree with, old and outdated philosophies when it comes to managing the offense, i.e. being run first and establishing the run. And then he also said, don't think he should be fired, but he gave the reason anyways. Um, so here's the thing. A lot of people kind of say that that's the, the, the most common one that I see is he's way too committed to establishing the run. It's old. It's outdated. He's stubborn about it. It's a bad idea. We all know it's a bad idea. And he still is, is, uh, committed to doing it or to influence, influencing Kubiak into doing it. Um, so I looked into this. I actually wrote a whole article, which will be out at zone coverage sometime on Tuesday. Um, so According to RBSDM, or RBs don't matter, .com, um, that, which is a site that, that compiles run pass heaviness versus expectation. And expectation is what does the rest of the league do in certain down distances, scores, and stuff like that. So it adjusts. One of the only places I see that adjusts for like game script, if you're down uh, in the game and or if you're up in the game, you're going to run a lot more. Teams will run a lot more and it adjusts for that. And against expectation, the Vikings run about 5% less than everybody else, which equates to about 50 runs total on the season. And most of that is driven by second and short. Uh, Sam Ekstrom wrote an awesome article which is linked in the in the other zone coverage article about second and short and kind of the problems that exist on second and short. And I think I agree with that as a critique that the Vikings run way too much on second and short. And whether that's Kubiak driving that or Mike Zimmer driving that, the two are probably intertwined too much as a pair. Anyways, you probably wouldn't fire one without firing the other. Uh, so 
whatever, right? That's a gripe. And, and uh, I, I will put that on the list of things I think are genuinely wrong with Mike Zimmer and probably wouldn't change. The only way to get out of that is to get rid of the coach. But that critique is pretty small. And I, I don't really agree with the other ways of it. I, uh, on first down in the last like five, six weeks, they've passed more than expectation. On second and long, they've passed more than expectation. It seems like the second and long run thing, they're not really doing that anymore. Um, and again, that, that adjusts for when you're like chasing the game. So I don't know if they pass as, or if they run like more than expectation, like to the degree you think they do, they probably are a little bit more than expectation, but I also looked at other wide zone teams like the Rams and the Titans and the Browns teams that kind of run this scheme. The Titans run even more than the Vikings do, and they have a much better offense. Um, and you know, the, the Packers pass more than the Vikings do, but it seems like in these wide zone teams, things tend to skew more toward running. And that's because of the way that play action works. You kind of want to uh, fake other concepts. And and that's not like establishing the run, I think, in the classic sense where you're trying to like, ooh, be physical and make them scare your run game. You're not necessarily making them like respect the threat of running in general. You're making that you're, you're, you're trying to set up looks that they will study on tape. And you're trying to basically put tendencies on tape that you can subvert later. And like that's the point of it. And is that worth you? Know, the Vikings have actually gotten a lot of touchdowns like off of play action plays that are specifically subverting something that they may have had an unsuccessful run earlier in the game to set up. Is that worth four or five, maybe three or four uh, suboptimal play calls a game? Maybe, maybe not. But I think that's what it comes down to. Um, but I, I think that would be my response to that is I think I under have a better understanding of why they do that, which makes me less mad about it. And it's also like less of a problem than it feels like if you just look at like the numbers after adjusting for like game script and stuff. Billeth says Zimmer needs an effective OC, but anytime he gets an OC that is successful, they will be hired as a head coach uh, elsewhere. Has already happened twice uh, with Shermer and, and Stefanski. No offensive continuity for everything wrong with Kirk. The revolving door of OCs has got to be tough. Haven't we kind of fixed this? Uh, Gary Kubiak's coming back next year, right? And unless you fire everybody, then you're making that problem worse. Um, but it seems like we've found a very unique solution. And that's not a sustainable one. If you lose Gary Kubiak, like if you were to fire Kubiak, you probably won't find another person like Kubiak. It's a very unique situation, but they don't need another one. Like if that works, it works, right? So if you do uh, want to stick with these coaches on their merit, uh, you can keep continuity and as good as Kerry Kubiak will be because of his health issues, it's kind of unlikely that he's going to take a head coaching job. So I, I get that with, you know, the whole idea that, uh, hey, if you have a defensive minded head coach, you're going to kind of run through a lot of offensive coordinators because if they're bad, you'll fire them. If you're good, they get hired away. And, and the same thing is true. If you have an offensive coach, the same thing will happen on the defensive side of the ball. But that configuration is preferable because offense is more important. I, I get that. But it seems like Kubiak is kind of the solution there in a very unique way. Um, they, they kind of, I guess, lucked into having an offensive coordinator that they can, uh, they, they can not worry about being hired away as a head coach, but as it, it doesn't work as a reason to fire Mike Zimmer, because that's not really going to be a problem anymore. Kubiak will be back for his third year, uh, next season. Analyze this says slightly above average, which Zimmer is, is the enemy of great would rather have a chance to go and win a Super Bowl than make the playoffs and bow out year after year in games where we are clearly outcoached. Uh, I, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, the outcoached thing is one thing, which I'll get to in a sec. The slightly above average is the enemy of great, I think is a, a total myth. There are a lot of, of teams who were seven and nine before they were elite, right? And teams don't go from four and 12 to elite. They go from seven and nine to elite. Like, think, look at the, the, the saints who are seven and nine for a whole bunch of years. I, I, I actually wrote this uh, article last week 
about like kind of how to escape mediocrity. And the best way to escape mediocrity is to just have a good draft and then just like become better, not to like go be bad. And I, I don't think good is the enemy of great. I don't think above average is the enemy of great. I don't think average is the enemy of great. I think perfect might be the best enemy of great. If you're seeking perfection, you might make uh, decisions that make you farther away from great than you were before. And then for the out coaching thing, um, yeah, he had the the thirty eight seven game. He was out coached in that game for sure. He got totally schemed. I don't think he was like out coached in the Kyle Shanahan game with uh, with with San Francisco. And he's one and one against Kyle Shanahan. He's two and one against Doug Peterson. He's one and one against Sean McVay. Sean McVay kind of out coached him in a high profile way in that Rams game a couple years ago. Um, but you know, he's one and one against McVay on the whole. Uh, three and three against Sean Payton, including outcoaching the hell out of Sean Payton in the playoffs last year. So I don't know if, you know, he will just always be outcoached in the playoffs is a thing that's true. Like uh, the Vikings have lost three playoff games. I think he was definitely outcoached in the Eagles game. Wasn't really outcoached in the Seahawks game. That's a Blair Walsh game, right? And I don't think he was outcoached. I don't think the, the outcoaching is the reason he lost against Kyle Shanahan. Uh, I, I actually think he kind of kept that offense in check more or less, and it was really the run defense just kind of getting washed out of every play, and kind of the same thing that we saw against the Saints, for example, where, you know, you just had like Jaleel Johnson taking too many snaps and you just kind of didn't have anything anymore. So I don't think one instance of outcoaching in five playoff games is particularly strong evidence. Adam Feist says the team has plateaued. The the attitude of this team is just stagnant. I assume you mean like geometric attitude, not like their locker room attitude. It's time for a new vision and new leadership. Not to mention it's been seven seasons and he still doesn't properly manage the game or the clock. So that first part I've kind of already talked about. Uh, Yeah, again, I don't really believe in this idea of like stagnation. They, They can get better they should just get better and they have they like failed to do so in the 2020 offseason and we can say that them failing to do so is a failure because it would have been possible to get better if they had approached that offseason differently right and that's more of a thing about Spielman who I, I guess that's a separate conversation but again the, the idea that they're just like spinning their wheels and stuck and there's no possible way out like sure there's a way out you know get a better offensive line and uh fix some of your parts of your run defense and run it back yeah absolutely you can like improve on the team right Uh, But the clock thing, I absolutely agree with. I think there have been some really bad clock management issues. I I talked about it a little bit uh, yesterday. I I actually was wrong. Somebody pointed out uh, Kirk Cousins' headset went out in the Saints game. That's why that end of half debacle happened. But there have been plenty of other ones. And I think a lot of that has to do with issues elsewhere in the line of communication, things that Mike Zimmer has appropriately delegated away. And it should probably be pinned on the people he's delegated it to. But there's still been some really poor timeout taking decisions. There have been other poor kind of clock management decisions. We talk about clock management a little bit too much. And for a coach who's been in the league for seven years, I I think I agree with you on the whole that that is an issue. So we have second and short, they run too much and clock management. That's our list right now. So we're going to keep track of that. Now, I've said a lot that I think the Vikings can break through that wall. I think that if they make good decisions in the offseason, they just continue to improve the team. Eventually, they can break through that wall of being like 10 and 6 or whatever. And if you have a wall you want to try and break through, whether it's a mental wall or a physical wall, you can break through it with Built Go every day. Built Go is the best workout gel on the market. It's like a five-hour energy, but it doesn't give you that same crash, that same jitter, and it's natural. It's a lot better for your body. It is chock full of protein, collagen protein. It's fast-absorbing type of protein that gets into your system fast, and it's easy on the stomach, and it also gives you energy from natural sources like vitamins B6 and B12. It gives you 10,000% of your daily intake of those vitamins. It also has beta-alanine, B3, a little bit of honey, a little bit of caffeine, and it comes in three delicious flavors, peanut butter, honey, chocolate, coconut, and chocolate mint. So if you want 
want to try it out for yourself, you can go to BuiltGo.com and use promo code LOCKED. That'll get you 20% off your next order. That's promo code LOCKED for 20% off at BuiltGo.com. Let's go. NFL analyst Brian Peacock and former NFL scout Matt Williamson host Locked On's Peacock and Williamson every Monday through Friday. Brian and Matt give you the national perspective all around the NFL, covering all the latest news and insight on every game, team, and move around the NFL. Get your picks, previews, and much more every weekday with the Peacock and Williamson podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. So let's continue with these. I, I'm going to have to go through these a little bit quicker because I do want to get to make sure I get to all of them. If this goes along. I'm really sorry. Um, Cali Vikings 28 also said the same kind of clock management stuff with it, which I agree with, but he said a rookie is ready. Let the man start his stubbornness with having them sit is annoying. Uh, I, I, I think you might be mistaken here. I, I disagree that this is true. If it were true, it would be a problem, but I disagree that this is true. Uh, he's kind of famously unloyal to his, his tenured players. He, he even like angers guys like J Ron curse. He should have, if he were stubborn to like hashtag his guys, uh, he, he would probably have been a little more loyal to a guy like J. Ron Curse, who is like famously mad that he didn't get the start over somebody like Anthony Harris. Not that he would have deserved it, but you know, J. Ron Curse was with the team for a lot more tenure. Somebody even said I was going back and forth with somebody on Alexander Hollins and somebody said, man, that he picked Dan Chisina over Alexander Hollins. He's just so stubbornly uh, into his own guys and he doesn't like give, give people a chance based on merit. And I think a lot of times we just sort of speculate this. I really see every time I see this narrative come up, I, I, I will challenge people and I say, how do you know? How do you know that he was doing better and, and Zimmer is like knowingly starting the wrong person versus you just have the wrong idea about how good this person is? You know, we have that conversation about a guy like Brett Jones all the time, who's now been with the team for like three years. So if if, if you know he was going to be like more loyal to his players he would start brett jones who's been with the team for three years over ezra cleveland who's a rookie been with the team for one uh and it you know you might say draft position well i mean they didn't famously didn't start treadwell because he wasn't good he wasn't ready they didn't start ezra cleveland because he wasn't ready his first game out was a complete catastrophe so i i do think that he uh sits players before they're ready and then once they're ready they go in and I think we're just kind of overestimating when they're ready because we're usually upset with the player in front of that guy. And we go, well, the rookie has to be ready enough to be better than that, right? And the answer surprisingly often is no, because I think we have a difficult time imagining how, you know, watch a bad player play poorly, watch Pat Elfline play, you know, watch Dakota Dozier play and go, well, how can it get worse? We have a difficult time conceptualizing that, but it absolutely can always get worse. And assuming that not only can't it get worse, but that means that the player behind him isn't worse. And and then also assuming that it's bad on the Vikings for not starting that player. I think that's that's just too many leaps in logic. Purple People Tweeter, I love it, says, I want to know if he's lost the, the locker room or not. Do his players still want to play hard enough for him? It didn't seem that way in the Saints game. Honestly, he's just not relatable to players. Great coach, terrible leader. His speeches after wins and losses are absolutely unsurprising. This team has got a lot of fight. He says that every week. Wish he was our D coordinator instead of our, our head coach. A lot of people say that last thing. Like, that's not really a, a move you can possibly make, right? If you're going to demote him, he'd probably just say, nah, just fire me. But I, I think for coaches who have lost the locker room, we see a lot of examples. Uh, we can look at a guy like Matt Patricia or Adam Gase, you know, players kind of dunking on them on social media, people toasting with champagne because they don't have to play for the guy anymore. Um, and I think some players are frustrated, like, you know, J. Ron Curse, he wanted to start, but all of them have a legitimate gripe that's based on the decision that Zimmer made and not like the vibe and the culture in general. I don't think there's much of a problem in Minnesota's culture. They're going to be frustrated because it's a losing season. Every, every team gets frustrated in a losing season. 
season, but it doesn't seem like it's getting to a toxic place where people want out of the organization, even if they're winning. I think if they were to start winning, it would probably fix this in a way that that probably wouldn't apply to like the Lions. Um, you know, you don't see you, you see Jaron curse like he dunks on fans, Vikings fans more than he dunks on Mike Zimmer. Even Stefan Diggs, the most famously mad Viking, says, no, I don't have any problem with Minnesota. I wanted more targets. That's his gripe. And so I went to a place where I wanted more targets, but it wasn't personal. It was just a decision. Mackenzie Alexander, he played in the week 17 game. He didn't think he should have had to. He got injured. He was upset about that, which is legit. But that's not like a cultural issue. It's a decision that Mike Zimmer made that made the guy angry that I think we can hold him to account. And so that's going to be the third thing on this list is he's made some personnel decisions that have made players angry, like the Diggs thing, like the Alexander thing, like the curse thing, and hasn't been able to kind of keep those guys in house. And I think other coaches could have. So we're going to add that to the third thing. I still don't think this list is very long and they're all kind of like we've, we've had to make them very specific to make them correct. But the list is there. Nicholas Bartel says, I think the biggest argument against Zimmer is that he won't change philosophies. Pete Carroll is a great example of changing so that your team is more relevant with the times. I think Zimmer is good about this on defense, but it is obvious he won't change on the offense. So yeah, he's definitely uh, very good about this on defense. Uh, he, he changed from cover three to cover four after the McVeigh game in 2018. He, he kind of changed the scheme so that other teams couldn't do that to him. And uh, he underwent a whole nother trans uh, transformation this year when the corners weren't as good. So he had to play cover two. He has absolutely adapted his scheme. If you ask, what is the Mike Zimmer scheme? Even, you know, the things that define it, like the double A gap look and stuff, he moved away from for a long time. He absolutely adapts his defensive scheme to the players he has, not to the players he wants. And, and I think that's exactly what you're going to want your coach to do. Offensively, they've gone through a lot of transformations as well. Like, again, right now, the offense, the scheme that they have, the Kubiak wide zone scheme, is a perfect fit for Kirk Cousins. It's a perfect fit for Dalvin Cook. It's a perfect fit for a lot of the offensive linemen that they drafted specifically to run that scheme. So they have a really good match here. And if you did fire Zimmer and Kubiak and stuff and you went and got an offensive head coach... I would kind of only want an offensive, uh, a, a wide zone head coach. I'd want to take someone off of McVay's staff or go get Arthur Smith from the Titans or something like that, who, by the way, runs more than Mike Zimmer does uh, versus expectations. So maybe not that if that's your problem. But yeah, I, I, I don't think it's fair to say that the offense like doesn't change philosophies or anything like that. He wants to run the ball, I guess. But schematically, he's gone to a scheme that has kind of proven in the NFL to work by being run heavy and and he's gone through a lot of offensive transformation so not being adaptable I don't think is true. Nano Garces says, I don't want to fire Zimmer, but I want him to be a head coach dealing with the management of the group and coordinators. He has to delegate defensive issues to a coordinator of his confidence and be aware of what the team needs in all areas, including special teams. Um, yeah, I think he could probably delegate the down-to-down -down play calling, and that would probably be fine. Those Zimmer's play calls are very good and risking losing that. You do risk, like, uh, you know, negative value on that. Um, but I don't think high-level coaching choices explain, like, the special teams issues. Those are players playing poorly. And Zimmer can go yell at the player and say, hey, break down before you tackle all he wants. But you know, to a certain point, point, you can only lead the, the horse to water. That's probably more of a and, and I think he is delegating a lot of that to Marwan Maloof. And I think what you have there is more of an indictment of Marwan Maloof than an indictment of Mike Zimmer. And I think you can absolutely fire Maloof without firing Zimmer, which is something I think a lot of people would agree with. Oh, I got to rapid fire these. Dean Rishwain says because this one thing he because the one thing he claims to excel at is the area he continues to get worse his d has been going downhill but people still considering a defensive mastermind he also has to have to get a more modern approach to the game kind of responded to the last part already but 
Has the D been that bad? This year, they're the 13th in DVOA, despite all the roster issues that they have. And I think this year, you can probably throw out of the sample as an outlier where they're down to like their ninth linebacker and they've got all these rookie quarters. That's not a thing that's like going to repeat itself in future years. Uh, he's been seventh in EPA per play in 2018, 2019, and 2020. So since that crazy good 2017 year that a lot of Zimmer detractors think is an outlier, he's been seventh in, e- in, in EPA per play allowed for the next three years after that. 26th in EPA per play allowed this year. But again, I, I think you can probably throw this out as the exception, not the rule, and not say that about 2017, which I think feels, uh, I think that feels more likely to be correct. Uh, Jeff Douglas says, if the Vikings have a plan to draft a quarterback in round one, which likely requires trading up, they should fire Zimmer and hire an offensive-minded head coach. If they plan to stick with Kirk for another year, they should not fire Zimmer. I think that's fair, actually. Yeah, if you were planning to get rid of my, uh, get rid of Kirk Cousins by like trading him or whatever, that's a perfect opportunity to change your scheme. Because a lot of the reason that they don't want to change their scheme is because it's perfect for the quarterback. Kirk Cousins, wide zone, that's where he does his best. There's like a ton of evidence about that. So yeah, that would be a good opportunity to transition if you're going to transition away from that. They're not going to do that. So they're not going to fire Mike Zimmer. And they're definitely not going to fire Mike Zimmer this 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 offseason. I, I would be absolutely stunned. Um, but yeah, I, I think um, it would be a good opportunity to transition. You can like open up your schematic limits by saying like, hey, you know, if we're going to get rid of Kirk Cousins, we might as well open ourselves up to any scheme and then we can get whatever quarterback comes around. And the last one, sorry, I'm going a little long here, guys. Uh, the last one comes from Jeff Angel, who Angel, Angel, who says the the fact that the media actually discusses his preseason record is enough to tell you his real accomplishments. This one made me chuckle because I don't think I've ever seen his preseason record be discussed as like an unironic like boon of Mike Zimmer, like an endorsement of Mike Zimmer. Look at his preseason record. I, I think they show his preseason record in preseason games, but I don't think anybody talks about it afterwards. If somebody is genuinely saying that Mike Zimmer should be kept because he has a good preseason record, I want you to show me that person because that person is clinically insane. You're right, Jeff, that that would be a very bad reason to prop up Mike Zimmer, uh, but that's certainly not the one that I'm using. So that is, I guess, my my best response to a lot of these. I, I hope that if you did write one of those bigger and longer ones, again, thank you so much. I hope I got to most of the stuff that you guys were all saying. Tomorrow, we're going to put the Saints game to bed. Uh, there's still some things that I want to talk about with regard to the tape and stuff like that. Make sure you check out that zone article, uh, zone coverage article about like establishing the run and stuff too, uh, because I think I got pretty comprehensive about all the things that, that go on into all that stuff. But I will see you all tomorrow. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at LukeBronNFL. You can find the show on Twitter at LockedOnVikings, part of the LockedOn Podcast Network, your team every day. And as always, Skull.